Today's scripture comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 through 15. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly, no one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs, they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, their deeds of violence and in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us. Their righteousness and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. This is the word of God. We started a really serious sermon series, and on, this is a part two of that series. And you got, you got a heavy message. I mean, we had this beautiful, joyous day. We had baptism. We had these amazing testimonies. And then you heard um, a, a pretty hard message. And I want to... I'm just going to warn you right now, this one's not going to be fun either, okay? If you want to get into the subject of justice from the Bible, and we decided to do this, we the pastors, I said this last week, because there's so much controversy and confusion in our culture about this issue of justice, and we thought, what does the Bible have to say? And let's teach our people, and let us go to the well of God's word and not listen to some narrative inside of our society, whether it's, you know, one side's politics or another side's politics, whatever it is, wh whichever voices you tend to favor, to today and throughout this series, we were, we're asking you to focus on what God has to say. And if you are not a Christian here today or you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we hope that this you'll be of interest. Um, you may not like what we say, but we want you to hear what the Bible says. What is intent in the Bible? It's a complex teaching. And so let me just give you a, just a quick recap of last week so that in a sense today is a pickup from last week. And what I taught was first and foremost, justice, what it is, it actually is, it's an attribute of God's person. 
It's a part of his nature and of his character. So it isn't just some kind of like, some kind of um, some special abstract laws written somewhere or maybe not even written, but like in our hearts, we feel that there's this constant sense of unfairness and a powerful, and those who ever have power of, of, of making it wrong. And we feel this regularly in life that that's going on, and yet that is very real, not as just a mere idea, but it is a violation against God himself. Justice is actually a part of God himself. So all violations of justice are first and foremost, it's an offense and violation against the very character of God. It's an offense against God. <laughs> to be against justice, to violate justice, is in a sense to, be, is to become an enemy and, and um, of the very standards and, and, and the person of who God is. It's to be against God. And the second point that I want to offer you to, as a reminder of last week, the Bible has two broad, there's two broad aspects of justice. And our society regularly kind of stumbles to, to, um, to go one side or the other. And that is that in the Bible, the justice, there's a retributive aspect of justice. In other words, all those who violate justice, well, God will, as the Bible says, have vengeance upon you. Just those who are evildoers and those who violate justice, they're not going to get away with it. It feels like it all the time in our society. It feels like it throughout history. But the Bible says that's not the case. That there will be a judgment and there will be a comeuppance. And God will not let that, will not, will not let such people get away from, um, get away. And that's retributive justice. And the scary part of that is we're all essentially guilty, <laughs> That's what I want to get at today. But I also want to talk to you about the other thing, which is that God is a restoring God. That His justice is restorative. And this is the part where I think um, that is attractive to so many people in our society, and I hope to you, which is this is where God's justice really particularly cares for the weak and the vulnerable, the outsider, the wounded, and any and every time and every society and place that will just goes forward in life and will have no understanding or no care for those kinds of people in your time and place, well, that is a violation of justice too because we are to seek a restoration of all peoples. Not only of the comfortable people, not only the educated people, not only the people who can quote-unquote make it in our society, but those who are weak and vulnerable and hurting and outside. Okay, the restorative justice. So with that said, I want to lead, get into our message today, which is really just to pick up from last week. And um, I've entitled this message, True Justice Under God Leads to Humility. And really, it's, it's, it seems like a very basic, basic application so I'm not really so much teaching something more than I did last week, but I want to emphasize an important application. And anyone and everybody who understands the real truth of the way the Bible presents justice, it's just a presentation of who God is and, and of his character and what he, what he calls for. As soon as we see that, we're, we're going to find that we're, we are not on the good side of that. And that should lead us to profound humility. And so let me get at this. Part one, the Bible, justice, and love your neighbor. So I want to give you a brief teaching, just give you a picture of how the Bible looks at it. And it's kind of an expansive, quick, it's quick, 
view of the whole Old Testament, um, the Bible, justice, and love your neighbor. Part two, the utterly sinful, normal, normal failure of justice in the world. The other, it's very sinful, but it's also very normal failure of justice in the world. And I want us to wrestle with that a little bit. And I'll show it to you from Scripture. In part three, I want to offer you the good news. Uh, through liberty to the captives and to the blind. That's what Jesus said he's going to bring. Liberty to the captives and to the blind. And boy, do we need that kind of liberation, okay? So let's get into part one. Um, I'm going to take you through just three quick passages. Um, I, want to, I don't want to just tell you that God cares greatly about justice and righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness and justice, they're almost synonymous. Righteousness is not just about being good. It's about acting and living rightly according to justice. Just the just is, the, is, is a picture of that, which is how do we treat others in the way that is worthy of who they are. And righteousness is living inside of that. And justice is really the whole vision and standard of that. And it's all throughout the Bible. And I don't want you to just say, I just want to say this. I just want to, just, I want to just show it to you. Let's just, let's just quickly, I'm going to just hit you three passages, three different places in the Old Testament there are really tons. So I just picked these three to just give you a little flavor of this, okay? So it's really ubiquitous and tremendously important. So here we go, the first one. Um, see if we're getting it. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. This is God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Not sentimental love. God is super nice. You can live however you want. And then he'll just be nice to us. And then we'll get kind of the comfortable life. That we, that's kind of like, I, I kind of feel like that's sort of the going. If people believe in God today in America, the God that they believe in is, he's really kind of a, a phony and weak and pathetic old man who sits up in the sky and he's incredibly sentimental. And he's essentially a gigantic wimp who's super nice to you, a kind of great teddy bear in the sky. But it's not the way the Bible puts it at all. There's righteousness and justice. And it's not an easy thing for us to hear because um, we're not even sure what the heck righteousness is. It's, these are such foreign words, righteousness. We don't even talk about it, yet it's the very foundations of the way God reigns. Okay? Here's another one. Proverbs 21.3. To do justice, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, that's his name. To Yahweh than sacrifice. To do righteousness and justice more acceptable to Yahweh than sacrifice. This is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Sacrifice was the way that, um, that Israelites would show forth their devotion. It's, it's actually, it was a central act of worship. You know what this is basically saying? Righteousness and justice is more important than your religion. However you practice your religion, righteousness and justice is more fundamental. It's more important. That's really what he wants. And actually, there's many, many places where God even says, your sacrifices, your, your offerings, because these things are gross to me. Get them, get them away. 
because you oppress, because you steal. You allow this injustice to happen, and you can see God is incredibly upset. He doesn't even like the worship. So I want to get you to just start to think about this. If you're starting to think about just injustice out there, it's out there, and we're going to be angry about something that's going on out there, first and foremost, I want to speak to the church. Those of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus, you believe in Jesus and the Bible, it's first and foremost a message to us. We must think very seriously about this, how God considers this. And we're, we're, we're Christians. We go and worship and we practice our religion and, and then we're going to bring our worship offerings, so to speak. But righteousness and justice. One more. Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord, Yahweh your God, is giving you. So quick just background here. This is Deuteronomy, and this is, this is Moses here. And it's about how God is setting up the, the way he would reign and he would draw and be the king of his people. And listen up. So you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that Yahweh your God is giving you according to your tribes... And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy 16, 18, 20. Um, we all know this, right? God really cares about this. I just want to offer you one little thing. Um, when I read this, you shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. That is those who are knowledgeable, those who have education, those who tend to rule. So let me put it this way. You shall not be partisan. You shall not just allow a bunch of the rich people to send their lobbyists and then your rulers will then implement laws that will favor themselves and their pocketbooks. Because this blinds the eyes of those who are educated and those who are the elites and subverts the cause of the righteous. If I put it this way, this is unbelievably relevant. And isn't it exactly, it's pretty much exactly the same, but it says, Justice and only justice you shall follow. I wish I could stand in front of our, our congressmen and our politicians and our police and our journalists and our professors and say, justice and only justice you shall follow. Not your partisanship. Not your short-term gains. Not your side versus their side. Everybody's side. And the poor and the rich and the black and the white. This is how God calls it. Now, let me unpack a few more things. The central command of God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the central command of God. And then there's a second command, which is more like command 1A. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
These aren't like two commands, love God and then love your neighbor. It's really more like one command. If you will love God, it will flow out into love of neighbor. And it's regular, and Jesus teaches this way. All of the commands, all the laws, it all flows out of this. We just did a series called Gospel Completes Law, and we went through the Ten Commandments. And um, really, this is, this is at the heart of all the Ten Commandments. Will you love your God, and then will you love your neighbor in the way that bef- it befits, that shows you love your God? If you love your God and know you have been loved by your God, then it will flow into the way you think and see your neighbors. So this is the fundamental central command. It's, it, it, it covers all of life. And regularly, if, you know, if you, for those of you who are with us in that series, you probably basically came out every single Sunday. I did, <laughs> thinking, oh, here's another thing that I completely don't do. <laughs> and my goodness, only by the gospel, not by law, only by the gospel do I even have any hope to love God and love my neighbor. And the reason I bring this up to you today is if you want to understand justice, I want you to connect these two things theologically. The the most fundamental command of God is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what is justice? It's that. That's what it is. Justice is to love your neighbors in the way God wants us to love our neighbors. And so in our society, love is so shallow, we don't understand that. We tend to think, so I'm supposed to have all these feelings for all my neighbors, and I'm supposed to love my neighbors. No, 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 no. Because we always think that love is fundamentally emotion. It's not about emotion. When the Bible talks about love, it's talking about a way, it's, a, it's, it's about it's, it's to see, it's to see in vision. It's to have the, it's the fundamental, the right attitudes and actions. The right attitudes, intentions, actions, the right goals. So you don't have to have some deep, you know, fundamental seated feelings. You meet somebody in the street and you barely know them or something like this. You don't have to have some deep feelings of love like the way you have for your grandmother or your best friend or something like that. But... Will you see them and will you appropriately approach them with God's heart, attitude, intentions, and actions? That's justice. Now, let me say a second thing. It is not only individualistic. So first of all, it's not primarily emotive and sentimental. And second thing, it is not only individualistic. So immediately if I say this to you, so I have to like, fix all poverty or like I I have to help all homeless people find a house or something. No, it is only, it isn't just individualistic that we as individuals are called to this, but we, the we, the corporate, are called to live this way. And so what what that leads to is Christians cannot just think about issues of justice in terms of like the way I'm going to live my life and, you know, the cops will do what they're supposed to do and the judges are supposed to do what they're supposed to do and then, you know, we're going to make money and try to live a comfortable life. That's not, that's not good enough. We have to think about do we, the we, the we of our society, do we of my neighbors, of my church, of my community, do we have, do we have systems and habits and collective actions, not just individualists, collective actions that 
we, as we will hold, we can stand before God responsible for so that we are seeking to love all our neighbors. All our neighbors, including and including and especially the vulnerable and the weak. So this is what justice looks like. So justice is loving your neighbor this way. In the me and the we, in your individual actions, but all in our corporate, in our corporate, so it does include our laws. It does include the way we volunteer. It does the way we sow truth and mercy and, 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 and real justice becomes a part of our fabric and of our culture. And it's especially, it is for those who are poor and excluded and hurting because they are precious and infinite value in the image of God. See, that's, that's why you can't look at a person and say, okay, that person's got drug addiction or you know, maybe they're schizophrenic, maybe they're even dangerous and that's why they're sleeping on the street and that's why we don't have to care. <laughs> but to God... They have infinite worth made in his image. And if we choose not to care, that's unjust. That is not loving our neighbors. And I know that we can't fix all this, and we won't be able to fix all this. But God's people must see how God does it. And we must begin to think about what does repentance, what does some kind of, of, of God reigning pushback of a counterculture which is from heaven. What could that look like? Now this is a wicked and fallen world. And all until Jesus returns, the pushback is always going to be partial. And I think we often will feel like we're losing. But we've got to have a fight. <laughs> There's got to be a fight. It's got to be in us. Because the Lord is with us. This is His way. Okay, now let's go to part two. Okay, I'm going to take you through this verse that our brother read, and it's lengthy. I'm going to warn you, um, this isn't going to be a fun message. This is a passage, last week I, I focused on Isaiah chapter 61, and Isaiah 61 um, is a word that describes the anointed one the special one that is going to bring justice. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, walks into the synagogue, he opens up Isaiah 61, reads it, and then says, today this has been fulfilled. In other words, he's saying, I'm this person. But before we get to Isaiah 61, there's a word where the Lord is describing Israel. So this isn't a word for pagan, godless cruel, oppressive, these people out there. This is a word for God's people. And it's not a fun word. It's a hard word. And all of God's people, I think at all times, we have to, we have to read this word. And if we want to learn about justice, we should wrestle with this. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a member of his church and of his people, God's family, then this is not a word for somebody else. It's, our, it's a word for us. I want to take us through this. And I would like you to wrestle with this. All of us, together, individually. When you go into your small groups this week, into, into your GLS, we call them Gospel Life Families, please wrestle with this. Um, 
So let's get into it. Chapter 59, verse 1 of Isaiah. Behold, the Lord's hand, Yahweh's hand, is not shortened. That I cannot save, or is his ear dull that I cannot hear? So let's just stop there. There's all these ways that we operate, and we don't think God's around or God's going to care. And of course, our society even wonders if he even exists. That's the first verse. His hand's not short. It's not always going to be, you know, injustice can just reign and, and right, un, un, unrighteousness can just go about and have its way. No, no. Verse 2. But your iniquities, this is to Israel, God's people, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. So I'll just stop for a moment here. Does that scare you? It should really scare the living you-know-what out of you. Um, I, I regularly hear from Christians today. I prayed for this, this, and that. Oh, this, you know, this was hard in my life. I prayed that God would help me with this. I pray that God, you know, my family might got cancer, or like I really need a new job, or something, something. And we usually call on God when, of course, we, we need something, right? A whole list of, just a list of things that God, and then some of them we really, really want badly. And we get so upset when it seems like he didn't hear us. You ever wonder, maybe? And yet in our time, in our place, we regularly, we regularly think we deserve to be heard. <laughs> you ever think about that? You ever think, maybe if we pray, why does he have to hear it? There are a lot of powerful people in your life, and you hope, especially like, let's say you're young, today is a horrible time if you're college student trying to get a job, and you want somebody in some place of influence and power to listen to you, give you a chance, right? I'm not talking about God, we're just talking about somebody who's the manager at some company or something like this looking for a job, and we hope that they'll give you a chance and listen to you. And we, usually, we already assume that necessarily you don't deserve, deserve necessarily that this piddling middle manager should give you a chance. But we, I don't know why, we feel completely entitled that the God of the universe, that the almighty and utterly just and righteous and wise God should listen to us. But he says here right now, your iniquities, your sins, it's caused a big old rift. That's why I hide my face from you, and I don't hear. So I want us to think about this, this question of justice. It's very important to God. And if people who lack a humility and who lack God's deeper sense of care, righteousness and justice, justice are the foundation of this is how he reigns. If this is how he reigns, and we don't care about it, and we don't Think about following him in this thing, but then we want God to, you know, give us, can you give me this and this and this, you know, good, good life and perfectly healthy children and a great mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. 
I want you to think about that. There's a big, big disconnect there. Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one gives, goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. So let's just stop for a moment here. Mystical, well, I don't do those things. But understand that we, we as a society, we do these things all the time. <laughs> and you as an individual or me as an individual, maybe you don't bring a lawsuit that's kind of an unjust lawsuit, but it's happening all the time. <laughs> it's so commonplace, we just completely accept it as normal. It's just normal. Just normal. You know, we, we have jokes about this. Um, I, one of my closest friends, a lawyer, he, he collects, you know, <laughs> lawyer jokes. <laughs> well, what's 10,000 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? It's a great start. <laughs> he, he likes telling those jokes. And he regularly, you know, he's a Christian, and he takes the justice portion of his job very seriously. But he regularly finds out the other guy that he has to go up against, this guy is lies, 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 lies. He shouldn't be called lawyer. He should be called liar. <laughs> and he's really expensive. He's really, really expensive. It's completely normal. And how about this? Your hands are defiled with blood. That's, that's hard. That's a hard one to hear. You may not want to hear about this, but you know, there's this thing that's been going on in America since 1973. It's the legalization of abortion. And I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of people who think that abortion is only legal for like the first one or two trimesters. That's not true. It's completely not true. The loophole in the law is so gigantic that it's essentially, and I'm not making this up, essentially, a pregnant woman could, like the day before her due date, if she decided, she's like, I, I have mental trauma, I can't have this baby, and I could want to have an abortion, it's completely legal. Do you know that? Now, I don't think any woman's probably going to do that, but it's totally legal. But even in the first trimester, well, that's a lot of blood, because that's exactly what happens. You know, they, they put a vacuum tube in, into the womb, and this baby, because it's a baby... Blood is shed. And because we don't see it, nobody made a Schindler's List movie. If you ever watch Schindler's List, it's one of the most important movies. And it's an absolutely horrifying movie. But no one ever made a Schindler's List for abortion. But the we of our society just marches on and on and on. And we just accept this. In the we of our time, I think God's like, well, we just, we just march on in our life. I'm actually tremendously thankful that this, the people who push for, it's, it's interesting, there's all these different people who push for pro-life, but, and it persists, it's growing, by the way, it's growing. I don't know if you know this, when I was in college, it totally looked like the, 
the cause for life was totally losing and we're going to lose. It's actually going the other way. I'm so thankful for the people that are going the other way. But we as a people, we defile with blood. It's true. It's not, this isn't something like, oh, ancient Israel, this is their problem. It's our problem. Okay, let me read 5 and 6. They, as God's, God's people, this is, this is hard, okay? This is the metaphors that God uses. God uses these metaphors. They hatch adder's eggs. These are snakes, okay? They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is cr crushed, a viper is hatched. So oppression happens in the land, and then the person who comes out of it is a viper. That's what happens. Angry people with very angry and violent agendas come out of oppression. And they're like vipers. It regularly happens. Regularly happens in history, happening in our society. Verse 6, their webs, that's the spiders, this is how God describes this, like spiders, okay? We weave these webs. Will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Let's continue. Verse 7, they run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. There it is again. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation, and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. And for brightness... But we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. Isn't this how it feels like today? Justice, justice, justice. Um, there's always a time when, when these things will come around. I don't know. I don't know if I preached this 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, let's fire this pastor. Why is he going, going on about this? But if I tell it to you now, doesn't it feel so real? This will feel so real. We're just groping around in darkness. <clears throat> we grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. It's like we, we don't growl. We like, well, we don't, we don't actually go growl. What we do is then we get on, we get on our tweets and our Facebook, and our Instagrams, and then we just, we just, you know, we just let it rip. Complaining and ripping into some other side, whichever side you're part of, you don't like the other side, and we growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves, and we hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, for it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, for our righteousness, transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Let me go to the last couple of verses. Verse 14, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares. 
What, what truth? It's really hard to even know what the right truth is in our, in our public squares, in our public discourses. And uprightness cannot enter. And here's this last one, verse 15. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Yahweh, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no justice. Now, let me say a couple things, and then we're going to need some encouragement, okay? Um, first thing I want to say this um, is this. There are sins, you know, the, the, the really good Bible teachers and theologians, they have this term, sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission and sins of omission. That is the sins that we commit, and that's bad. But then there are the sins, there are sins of things that we should do and think about doing or want to do that we omit. Sins of omission. Sins of commission, sins of omission. As soon as you add in the sins of omission, we're all, we all deserve to burn. Together, collectively, we are all responsible. Because, and honestly, in modern life, in this world, it's just, it's just hard enough to just get by. If you live in Silicon Valley, you got to get a job. They may push you for long. Okay, now at least you don't have a trap. You don't have to deal with traffic at least, okay? And if you buy a house, so you're first, you're a slave to your company. And then you're a slave to your bank. And then there's the standards of education that you want your kids to have. And then you become a slave to that. You get exhausted from that. And then our society has these standards of justice. And then we don't do those things either. So I'm not saying that you're some wicked, evil person who's malicious and out there to harm people or you're racist or you don't care about poor people or something like this. But the fact is we're so busy trying to make it and get richer and help our kids get richer. It's generally the preoccupation of our life. It really is, isn't it? It pretty much is. If we're really honest, that's the preoccupation of our life. It's get richer, help our kids get richer, and then enjoy those riches. You know, I'm exhausted. I'll watch Netflix tonight, and then tomorrow, like, back to, <laughs> back to Pharaoh's enslavement all over again, like this. Who has time to think about justice? And so... It's all just injustice. And since we don't even think about it, we're blind, blind. We grope and we grope. And then some terrible things happen in our society. And then it just gets put before our eyes. And we're shocked that there's horrible things in our lives. And, you know, I, I mean, I just told you about one of the most absolutely horrifying things that's been going on year after year, decade after decade that puts blood on our hands. But we're blind to it and we don't think about this thing. But if you think about sins of omission, oh, it's bad. It's bad. And so what I want to offer you right now is we all must be humble. We all must be humble. 
there isn't a bunch of like righteous, just people out here. There is a bunch of good guys and then bad guys. There's mostly bad guys and then worse bad guys and then maybe truly wicked, malicious bad guys. But even the so-called less bad guys are just still bad guys. They still deserve the retributive justice of God, His wrath. And so, we must all be humble. So please be very, very careful. I don't know which side, the political aisle you're on, whatever, okay? What agendas and groups that you favor, we need humility. I'd say before you are right, before, I'm right about our political agenda. I'm right here. Before you are right, we all must eat big time humble pie. <laughs> because if you think the fight is like, our side's the good guys, and those are the bad guys. They're the racists. They're the ones that's destroying our constitutional structure. Oh, no. They're the unjust bad ones. And so the real fight is us just good people and those bad unjust people. If that's how you think of it, well, let's go before God first. When you go before God first, you're going to find out, oh, my goodness, I'm one of the bad guys. And there must be first humongous, giant, humble pie. That's what I'm causing. I, I, I read this unbelievably painful thing. And I know I'm laying it on thick, but honestly, I'm not laying it on thick enough. The, it's, it's much worse than what I'm saying, guys. And this isn't the only passage. There's lots of passages like this. There's lots of them. And a lot of them apply to us. And we wish they didn't, but they do. And so I, I'm begging us, you, me, me too, we must eat humble pie and run to repentance and run to mercy. Run to mercy. So now let's close the message with something good. <laughs> because there is mercy. <laughs> there is hope. There is grace, and there's a path to re real justice. I want to take you to um, back to Isaiah 61, and, um, but it's actually Luke chapter 4. So I don't know if I asked our brother to project this. So if you have your Bible on your smartphone, <laughs> or if you, have it, you know, if you actually have one of these, which is even better, I think. I'm really old school. I like these, okay? Luke chapter 4. Verse 16, and this is the theme verse of this series. So whatever we talk about through this series, and I'm going to talk about hard things throughout this series. I'm going to unpack some other things, and we're starting to get more into the weeds of it. But I always want you to remember this set of verses. This is the good part. Oh, we need this part. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Oh, sure. Got to get there. Mark it off. Sorry. Here we go. Luke 4, verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This is Isaiah 61 that he reads from. 
He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Messiah is called the Anointed One. This is because this is, a talk, this is talking about the Messiah. To proclaim good news, to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here's what I want to close today's message. He has sent me, God has sent me, the Son of God, the Anointed One, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And this is the way I want to close today's message. Who's the blind? Hmm? Who are the blind? Who are the captives? There are people today who are um, literally in prison. They're literally in prison for having done nothing wrong. Hopefully not as many in our country, but probably there are some. In other countries, lots. There are people who are captured and in chains just because they disagree with their government. <laughs> Things like that. Um, there are people who, because they never had a father, um, they are the third or fourth generation in cyclical poverty. And um, they never lived in a neighborhood where there's a decent school. And they never had a decent church or a coach or a teacher or somebody say, you matter. You matter. And they're in chains. It's not literal chains. They're captive to a world that cares nothing about them and where nobody loves them as people should love their neighbors. And so they don't know that there's a God who cares and who deeply considers that to love them, this broken down captive person should be offered in such a way so they could be truly human in the image of God. It's at least a pathway. And people don't just get that way because, well, you know, we just came out of the womb and we're just capable. You know, they need other people to love them that way. That's another form of captivity and blindness. But how about one more? You may be well-educated. You went to good schools. And you got a good job. And 90% of your life is a rat race. <laughs> it's exhausting. And... Um, and so you're so exhausted that even when you spend all your time at home, you're supposed to be grateful to be hanging out with your wife or your kids or your friends or something like this. But it's, even then, it's not really that good. And we should have more purpose, deep and worthy purpose. But we're so, at the end of the day, all we got left over from the rat race is a little Netflix or something on YouTube or whatever. Isn't that a kind of captivity? Isn't that a captivity?
One of our brothers in our church, he lives in Palo Alto. It's got to be one of the peak, nicest place in the history of mankind, okay? Literally, in the, Palo Alto, you think about that. One of the peak places in the history of mankind. That's probably not really an exaggeration. And we've got kids who will throw themselves in front of a train, and they grew up with every advantage. Every advantage. We've got kids who kit themselves. It's a kind of captivity, don't you think? And they are blind. So you could be rich, and you could be privileged. And inside the normal, awful, it's so normal, we, 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 we don't seem to be able to see, see, look past it or have hope beyond it. And so we accept it. We accept that this is, this is the way it is. And since we accept the way it is, we're just looking for some kind of pathway to make it kind of comfortable and okay. And if it's just okay for me and for mine, and those people like me, and then for my kids, then we'll live a good life. Justice, that's, that's for dreamers. That is the completely normal way that we live. And I would say that's captivity. That's chains. It's blindness. And Jesus came to say, no. <laughs> I have a better world and a better way. And he first came to you and to me, and you, he said, you are in captivity. You are so blind. You are so enslaved. I'll break these chains. And I'll forgive your sins of commission and omission. And I'll release you so you can be a part of a better life and a better kingdom. And walk into a new world in a new way. He's not demanding perfect performance. He's not just fix it right away. Nothing like that. He knows this world is filled with gross injustice, but he calls us to stop being spiders and vipers, but to become sons and daughters, agents of justice and mercy. Because first, we have received his justice. See, he took the justice of retribution upon himself so that he could give us the glorious justice of restoration upon us but not only so that we have it, but so that we could give it. <laughs> that Jesus, the ultimate bringer of justice, the complete whole full of justice, he allowed all the wrath and condemnation to go on him so that he can bring a new world and a new life and a new people. We call it being born again. <laughs> and we could see and not be blind. This is our tremendous hope, brothers and sisters. And could you possibly allow yourself to believe it? I know it's not an easy thing. We're going to say, oh, but what about the practical things? Okay, just, 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 just calm, slow down, okay? I know you got mortgages and expensive rent or whatever it is that you have to do. He knows too. He knows a lot better than I do. And this is our king, and this is what he offers, something far greater and beautiful and more glorious. And if we would live in that, it will have purpose and riches and a beauty that will fill us and make us more whole and human, not vipers. That which we long for, 
real life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, to a captive and blind and enchained people, with much sins of commission and omission. It is an unbelievable thing. It is, I, I remember when I was a boy, there was a song, can it be true what they say of you? And when we have a message like this and we're living in such dark times as we do, can it be true that your light and your sight and your vision, and your promise, and your hope can be bigger and more. Make us a humble people. And if we lack faith that you could do this in us and through us and do something beautiful in our times and for our neighbors, well, today at least, can we start with hope? Hope. And from hope that we would have faith. And if we are so weak, and especially if we are so cynical, and so prideful. Will the power of your word and the presence of the Holy Spirit come rest upon us to dare believe in the gospel more than the hurts and brokenness of our times and the weakness of ourselves. Lord Jesus, these are hard words, but I pray that we would take in the hard words, but most of all, we would take in the good word, the good news. Drink in your promises and your grace. And let that word become seeded into us and change us. If there's anybody here today who's never received you and received that washing and forgiveness, and they want to walk in justice, would you assure them that you will accept them if they will only turn to you? And we thank you, Lord, that for all of us weak, weak, sad ones and delusional ones. We think we're so strong, but we're really so weak. Help us to now take the humility to see that the weak aren't somebody else. It's us first. And from this well, the one who is truly strong and good has come to us. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen.